Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. You guys ready for the heat today? Those are the air conditioning in here. Feel nice. If you want to hang out in the foyer all day, just due to the air conditioning, you can. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much uh, for the gift of being dads, for our own dads. And Lord, as we reflect today on, on fatherhood also, we know that you're our ultimate father, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, whether those have amazing earthly dads or, or dads that aren't in their lives, we're able to, to look to you and cry out, Abba, Father. As we look in your word today, God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us through your word, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. What's your song? What's your song? When it plays, that it brings you back to a place and time. What's on your playlist? I have a few, and my favorites on my, my phone, one of them's called From the Ground Up, and it speaks of the sweetness of home and the memories that we have inside of our homes, how we try to document our lives through pictures, but ultimately uh, we can't, and coming to realize that the gift that that home is. I've listened to it, you know, probably a couple hundred times, and every time I listen to it, it moves me. Another song uh, for me is At Last by Etta James. It's an old song, but when Amber and I were were dating, it seemed like it had a resurgence. And every time we were in a shop or hanging out in a coffee shop or going into Pier 1 Imports or something, here would come Etta James, uh, At Last. So when I I play that song, it brings back a, a lot of memories. When I cook French toast at home, it's Nat King Cole every time I put on Nat King Cole. Uh, just start singing to that. And the reason is because I worked at a restaurant uh, waiting tables, and the owner of the restaurant, he always loved to play Nat King Cole. So food and Nat King Cole go together for me, right? How about for you? What is it? What's that song that you go, this song is something that brings me back to, to a memory. In worship, worship songs are powerful. There's certain worship songs that are played that every time that I hear them, it brings me back to a moment in time when God touched my life. This morning we're going to look at David's song. He records a song for us. You know that he was a songwriter. He wrote many psalms. And here one of them is included in 2 Samuel. It's also recorded in Psalms 18. And as we go through this psalm of David, this song of David, what I would like for you to do is to apply it to your own life, for me to apply it to my own life, what has God done in my life that I could put together in a song. I think this is a good message to to get out a pen and paper. If you've got a pen and paper, I'm going to be asking questions throughout the message. If you've got your iPhone or your Droid or you've got your tablet with you and you want to take notes, I think this would be a good message to do so, to bring us to that place where we leave today, where we have a song to declare to the Lord. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. It stands out to me that David spoke to the Lord. This is something that David did often, that he did regularly, that he would lift his voice to God. When was the last time that you spoke to God, that you poured out your praise to God, poured out your heart, your distress to the Lord? Not only speaking to the Lord, but hearing from God, allowing him to speak to us as well. When David wrote this song is when God had delivered him from Saul. 
It's not chronological in the order of 2 Samuel. It's when that ultimate breakthrough happened in his life. Remember how many years he struggled with Saul? How many years he was out in the wilderness? Allowing God to deal with Saul in his timetable? When Saul finally died, then David writes this song. When there's a victory in your life, when there's a breakthrough, when there's provision from the Lord, something you've been praying about for years, it's very important to stop and thank the Lord. It's very important to allow that to bring you into a place of worship for a song to be developed. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. This is a theme in the life of David as you look at his songs. As he understood that God was his rock and his fortress. It's one thing to know attributes about God from an intellectual level. I know that this is who the Lord is, but it's another thing to experience it personally. What caused David to come to this understanding was adversity. We can say that Saul made David better. Amen? David became a greater man of God after God's own heart because of the difficulty that he went through. He came to experience that God was his rock and his fortress. In Paul's, or excuse me, David's mind, the rock was that place of security. He would hide out literally in the rocks from from Saul. But he realized that it was the Lord that was the protection between him and Saul. What's the difficulty that you have today? Have you put God between the difficulty in yourself? Is it a person like Saul? Is it a situation to say, God, I'm hiding in you. You're my refuge. You're my fortress. You're that place of stability. You're that place of strength. Also, he says that God's his deliverer. That deliverance would come from the Lord, not from his own hand. The God of my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation— my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence, the God of my strength. Through this difficulty and trial, David ran out of his own strength. God is a reservoir of strength. He has endless strength. His strength is greater than Saul. His strength is greater than the difficulty that we go through. But in order to tap into it, we have to realize that we're weak. And oftentimes we try to get through a difficulty on our own. God tells us in his word, Paul writes and he says that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Meaning that a lot of times we don't experience God's strength until we're weak, until we ask for it. We have to ask for God's strength. Also, we need to wait upon the Lord. What does that mean? To spend time with him, to pause our lives, to worship him, to draw near to him, spend time in his word. And oftentimes as we invest in that time with the Lord and we wait upon the Lord, then we exchange our weakness for his strength. And David's able to say, God is my strength. My shield, again, talking about God's protection, the horn of my salvation, God's deliverance, stronghold and refuge. David is so moved by God that one title's not enough. He can't just say rock and fortress. He's thinking of similar words to describe the attributes of God. My Savior, you save me from violence. So verses 2 through 4, we see God's attributes. Here's my first question for you this morning. What attributes of God are personal to you? What's your song? You're writing your song this morning? Maybe jotting down some notes? What are some difficulties that you've gone through in your life that's caused you to understand God's attributes? Is it his faithfulness? 
Has God been faithful to you even when you were unfaithful? You could say that my God is faithful. Has it been God's patience? Do you feel like, man, God has just been so long suffering with me? Is it his grace? But to each of our lives, there should be a few attributes of God that are extremely personal. Think about it this way. When you describe possession of something, you may say, this is my coffee shop. Does that mean that you own the coffee shop? Probably not. You know, people have their coffee shop. Maybe it's Dutch Brothers. How many of you guys are like, man, Dutch Brothers is my place. Anybody admit it this morning? All five of you, two hands in the front row, right? One over here. Yeah, there's some courage. You've got my coffee shop. How about your gym? Maybe you really like your gym where you go to exercise and and work out and you say, this is my gym. Do you own it? Probably not. But you're expressing that it's personal to you. Have you ever found yourself saying, my church, this is my church. And you know that you don't own the church, that Christ is the head of the church, but you identify with what's going on here. You you serve here. You've you've taken ownership in a positive way. And you say, this is my church. In the same way with the attributes of God, you're saying, this is my grace. Not meaning that I own it or possess it, but God has ministered his grace to me in such a way that it's personal. Paul would often say, this is my gospel, not meaning that he had proprietary ownership of the gospel, but it had affected him in a very deep and personal way. And this is what I pray for, for the attributes of God in my life and in your life, that it would be personal, that we could put the personal pronoun before the attributes of God. So I want you to do this. I really want you to think about what two or three attributes that the Lord has really ministered to you over your life that identifies your song. In verse 4, he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall I be saved from my enemies. David had already determined that he was going to call upon the Lord in the difficulties of his life. I'm going to call out in my distress because he's worthy to be praised. Even in the darkest days of our lives, he's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Many times the deliverance comes over a long period of time. If you just read this psalm and didn't study the totality of David's life, you would think he prayed, and the next day God dealt with Saul. But when you read the story, you know that it took years. It took a long period of time. And that's often how God works in our lives. Why? Because he's growing us up. If it was immediate deliverance, we wouldn't have near the amount of growth that the Lord would intend. From verse 5 to verse 20 is God's works. It's the second verse of the song. David's going to talk about how God had worked in his life. When the waves of death surround me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Speaking of how he thought he was going to lose his life by the hands of Saul, David admits that it caused him to fear. The sorrows of Sheol surround me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple And my cry entered his ears. David in distress called upon the Lord. It's not a guarantee that distress is going to cause us to call out to God. A lot of people go through distress and difficult times and go to many other things than the Lord. What causes people to go to drunkenness, to alcohol, in excessive measures? A lot of times it's distress. What causes people to go to a life of drugs. It's distress. 
What causes people to be workaholics and make work their, their God? It, it's distress. You will go somewhere in your distress. True? You, you will respond somehow, some way to trauma in your life. The best place to go is to the Lord. In my distress, I'm going to call upon the Lord. And David's confident here, because of his relationship with God, that God hears his prayers. Are you confident of that? If you're in distress this morning, that God hears your prayers, that enters into his throne room. In verse 8, Then the earth shook and trembled, the foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. In poetic language, David is describing that God responded to his prayers, that God heard his prayer, that God saw the wickedness of Saul, saw the way that he was treating David, and the Lord responded. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky from the brightness before him. Coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hate me, for they were too strong for me. David admits it. It wasn't because of my strength that I overcame Saul and my enemies. It was God, God's deliverance, God answering prayer. It was way too strong for me. In your song of God's work in your life, did you have an enemy that was too strong for you? Maybe it was your temper and your anger, and you say, man, I still struggle with my anger, but man, I'm a transformed person That was something that was too strong for me, and it's a work of God in my life. Maybe it was a literal person that was violent towards you. You seem to not be able to get out from underneath their grasp, and God God dealt with them. It's the works of God in your life. Verse 19, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. David understands God loves him. David's not perfect, but he understands that he's the object of God's love. And God worked in his life because God delighted in him. So you've thought about a few attributes. You've got them. What are the attributes of God that are personal to you? And then what are the works of God in your life? The specific things that God has done that you could declare to others for for the glory of God. Maybe it's the job that you have. You go, man, I don't deserve to to have this job. There's a lot of people that have more experience, better education, but for some reason, the Lord has placed me in this position. Maybe it's the opportunity to go to school. You're in college. You're going, man, this is such a gift from the Lord to be able to to pursue this. For those of you that are married, maybe it's God bringing your, your spouse into your life, and it was a testimony of God's love. As it is Father's Day, and you look into the eyes of your children and realize that God has, has blessed you with these tremendous gifts. Your salvation, how did you come to know the Lord? How did God work in your life? How did he expose that emptiness to ultimately cause you to long, long for Jesus? 
Think of works past, works present. God is working in our lives. In the book of Revelation, it tells us some ways that Satan is overcome. And one of them is the word of their testimony. Because God is glorified, people are encouraged. We're reminded when we declare what the works of God. Here we are studying the song of David thousands of years later because he took time to record it. He took time to be able to declare it. What are the specific works of God in your, in your life? In verse 21, verse 28, this is kind of a weird thing to have in a song. It's God's equity or God's justice. David's going to rejoice in the justice of God. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Remember the timing of this psalm, verse 1? He wrote it after the death of Saul, prior to his sin with Bathsheba. And at this point in his journey, he's able to say, my hands are clean in regard to Saul. I had several opportunities to kill him. I didn't do that. I left it in the Lord's hands. And my hands were clean. I walked in integrity in this way. In verse 22, for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For his judgments were before me and for his statutes, I did not depart from them. One of the ways that Paul was able to navigate the difficulty of Saul is he kept God's word in front of him. How many times was it God's statutes that kept him from returning evil for evil? I was blameless before him and kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will, you will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. This is the story of Saul and David. Saul was prideful. God humbled him. David humbled himself before God, and God ultimately lifted him up. In your life story, in your journey, in part of your own song that only you can sing to the Lord, is there a part of God's justice that you rejoice in? Where someone did you wrong, and instead of returning evil for evil, being overcome with evil, you decided to continue to walk with the Lord. You didn't throw the spear back. You didn't allow bitterness to take control of you. And in time, God dealt with Saul. God was just. When we think about the character of God, you oftentimes won't find too many worship songs that mentions God's justice. It's not one of his attributes that we tend to celebrate today. But think about a God that wasn't just. Would you serve him? It's a big part of who God is. In the ultimate economy of time, we know that God puts himself in that place where he's the ultimate judge to the point where he says, don't avenge yourself, but give place to my wrath. Everyone's going to stand before the Lord. When Christ returns, he returns as a conquering king where everyone is going to be accountable to him. So if God gave mercy and forgiveness without extending justice, he wouldn't be a God that we serve. And in fact, the only reason our forgiveness holds weight is because it was just. Jesus took the punishment for us. It's not just this kind of forgiveness where God said, well, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, I'll overlook this. He says, no, sin is serious. 
Sin has to be paid for, accounted for, justly dealt with. So Jesus has to die on the cross for their sins. And David here is rejoicing in the justice of God. It's the third question that we ask ourselves is, have you experienced God's justice? Have you experienced God's justice? And that could be two sides in two ways. At times we've played the Saul. At times we've been in David's position. In verse 29 through verse 51, the end of the psalm is God's deliverance. He speaks of the specific ways that God had delivered him. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. I love this. This is probably the highlight verse for me in this chapter. David experienced a lot of darkness through this battle with Saul. Literal darkness, hiding in caves, being out at night in the wilderness. But I'm sure as well, emotional darkness, spiritual darkness. And he's saying part of God's deliverance in my life was not only to deal with Saul, but he met me along the way and he was my lamp. He was my light in the midst of that darkness. And we face darkness, don't we? The darkness of this world, the darkness of Satan, and the darkness of our own sinful flesh. Man, my sinful flesh, it's dark. And there's days where I just wrestle with my own darkness. It's going to be so nice to wake up and be in God's presence and to be in his likeness, to be glorified, to not struggle with sin. Amen? But as we go through this life where there is darkness, the key is Jesus is the light of the world. And his light, his lamp in our lives, it conquers the darkness. And it's fellowship with Jesus, it's time with Jesus that ultimately then expels that darkness that we experience. God set up the physical world, he created it, and light always trumps over darkness. How do you expel the darkness? You turn on the light. How do we expel the darkness in our lives? We fellowship with Jesus, we're in his word, We worship him, and we find that darkness is dispelled. Verse 30, For by you I can run against a troop, and by God I can leap over a wall. David experienced the supernatural in his life. He experienced that God equipped him to do things that he could never do on his own. To the point where he says, If I'm in the battle that God wants me to be in, I could go against a troop. The only way you would do that is if the Lord is on your side. He says, I could come to a wall, and if God wants me over that wall, he is going to just launch me right over. And a lot of times I think we reduce the Christian life down to what we can imagine, what's logical to us, and we can pull off inside of our own ability. When you read the book of Acts, it's supernatural. It's a group of people that experience the resurrection of Christ— the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and where God was leading, they believed that God could do the supernatural. And do we believe that through our lives, that God could use us in a way that's not human, that's not inside of our own resources? It's God's will, God's work to touch people for his glory. I think for us to understand, it's not for our experience, it's not for our comfort, it's for God's glory because he wants to do a work in the lives of people. There's something about the supernatural where we go, I want to experience that. That would be really neat to see God work in a spiritual way. It's got to be more than experience. It's got to be more than the warm fuzzies for us. It's got to be an attitude of saying, God, I know that you love my neighborhood. 
You love the people on my street, in my apartment complex, and I can't reach them through my own ability. I need a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, what are you doing in the midst of this street? And I want to follow you and take it to step of faith. And the supernatural may look like God opening up a conversation, God giving you the words, giving us an opportunity to pray for our neighbors. In your family, as you gather today, the Holy Spirit's wanting to do a work. A supernatural work. God, what are you doing in the midst of my family? But if we leave out the supernatural, we've missed a huge aspect of of who God is. In verse 31, as for God, his way is perfect. The words of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. God's way is perfect, but it doesn't always seem perfect. David is now through the difficulty with Saul, and he's able to say, God's way is perfect. It's been said that hindsight is 2020 vision. But as we're going through the difficulty, we accept by faith, God, I know you're good. The Lord is good. And your way is perfect in the midst of this difficulty. Sometimes in life, we're able to look back and see it. Other times in life, we're not able to. There may be some questions that we carry to the grave. But ultimately, we know by faith that God is good and that he does good. And if you're in the midst of the challenge this morning, lay on hold of this promise that God's way is perfect. His way is not our ways. He doesn't do things the way that we would expect him to, but his way is perfect. Also, his word's trustworthy. David's able to say, in God's deliverance, God's word is proven. I can trust the word of God. It's God's word that will be the anchor through the storm. Again, celebrating God's protection. He's a shield to those who trust him. To experience God as our rock, our fortress, our shield, we must trust. David is overcome by who God is. He says, for who is God except the Lord? For who is a rock except our God? So true, there's no one like him. God is my strength and power. He's made my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. Deer are powerful animals. You've ever, ever seen a, a deer jump over a fence? What's kind of interesting about Colorado Springs is there's a lot of wildlife right here in the city. You probably all had the experience where you're driving around some part of the city and you're like, bam, there's a deer running across the road, right? The other day, uh, we were driving as a family and there was this big buck and he's growing out his horns, and he was going up this hill and jumping over a fence right, right here in, in city limits. And I was just impressed by the strength of the animal, especially the, those hind legs that would launch him up the hill and launch him over the fence. David was an outdoorsman. He was a shepherd, spent time outside, spent a lot of time in the wilderness on the run, run from Saul. And he's saying, God, you have made my feet like the feet of a deer. And you've set me on high places. And we live in some crazy times as believers. And God is wanting to strengthen us spiritually to where we have strong legs. Believers, please hear me on this. You're going to need some strong legs to endure. That's what the times are are producing. We're not going to be able to just go on cruise control. There's enough challenge. There's enough adversity where God's saying, I don't want you to just buckle to the adversity. I want to be able to give you some strong feet. And how does God do that? Through tough times. 
where we say, I'm not giving up, I'm not backing down, I'm continuing to move forward like David did. And then over time of doing that, we go, man, God has made me stronger spiritually. I'm able to stand when times that I would give in and I would buckle and I would turn and run in fear. Verse 35, he teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. This is interesting to me that David sought God in this area that would appear to be secular. This military aspect of his life, he says, God, would you teach me to be a warrior? And because of that, he was the greatest warrior of his time because he allowed the Lord to instruct him. A lot of times we compartmentalize our lives and we think, well, well, God's a, t- a part of Sunday morning or, or God's a part of, of this. He's part of my family. But it's easy to leave him out of our work life. You know, God wants to teach you to be an accountant for his glory. God wants to teach you to be a, a school teacher for, for his glory. He, he's in all of those aspects of life. And we have an inside track to say, God, help me to use this computer. Help me to use this pencil for your glory, these spreadsheets for for your glory, whatever it is that God has placed in your hand. Also, there's a spiritual application. We're in a spiritual war, and God wants to equip us for war. He wants to teach us to be able to engage the enemy, to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So just like we need strong feet spiritually, we need to be able to engage in the spiritual battle for God to equip us for war. In verse 36, he says, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Though David sinned greatly, we also know that he was a great man. He was a man after God's own heart. He handled some things amazingly well, and especially with Saul. How did he not pick up that spear and throw it back at Saul? How did he not kill Saul when he had so many opportunities? It was the gentleness of God that made David have self-control. And self-control is really great. Almost anybody can be powerful. Almost anybody can, can rage. Anybody can return evil for evil. That's the easy thing to do. But true greatness is to be able to live and walk in self-control. And it was this understanding that God is gentle, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is merciful. David, being a man after God's own heart, he spent time with God. He knew the character of God. And then that ultimately caused him to be a great man. He says, you've enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. How many ways is God involved in our day, in our life, and we don't even realize it? Where he's enlarged our path. He's caused us to not slip. If it weren't for the Lord, we would have slipped right off the path. I've pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They've fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. So he's understanding that ultimately God has given him the victory. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Saul, because of his rebellion, got to a place where God didn't answer him. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like the dirt in the streets. I spread them out. 
You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You've kept me as the head of the nations. A people I've not known shall serve me. David dealt with Saul, but he also dealt with the striving, the division inside of Israel. And he said, God, you delivered me from that. You're the one who has kept me in this place of prominence. Saul believed that the throne was his, and he always tried to protect it. David understood that the throne belonged to God. He left it in the appropriate place. The foreigners submit to me as soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. He knew that God gave him favor over these nations around him. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. God's alive and present in your situation. A lot of times it's the difficulties of life that cause us to realize God is alive. He's with me. We sang this morning, God, make me more aware of your presence. And that can happen in time of blessing, but many times it happens in time of difficulty. It is God who avenges me. It was the Lord who brought about this judgment and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give praise to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praise to your name. Church, it's powerful to sing. Did you know that singing is a biblical command? God gave you a voice. He gave you the ability to sing. You look at God's creation, and of his creation, what has the ability to sing? We do. Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry? They were getting upset that they were worshiping Christ, the religious leaders. And what did Jesus say? He said, if these guys don't sing, then the rocks will will cry out. And part of us would have loved to hear that, huh? What does it sound like for, for creation to be able to sing to the Lord? But it's as if God has given that privilege and responsibility to us. And I think a lot of times uh, we, th- we see singing as, well, well, maybe if I'm good at singing. Does it say that we're to sing if, if we're good at singing? The scripture says, make a joyful noise. Maybe you can't sing to save your life. You can't sing on key. Hey, that's all right. God created your voice and it's beautiful to him. He wants you to sing from your heart. And that's why we turn up the music so loud. Nobody's going to hear you anyway. You know, just, just belt it out. I think God is doing a a work in the area of worship inside of our church. I'm seeing us come with an attitude of saying, you know what, I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to sing. And it's a privilege to be able to lift our voice to God. So God's deliverance in your life, then you respond to that deliverance by singing to the Lord. And hopefully we come prepared and ready to sing here in the congregation, but to sing through our days. Isn't that a great way to go through life? Of God, I'm going to be a worshiper. I know what you've done in my life, and I'm declaring my song to you. So verse 51 says, He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. So last question this morning, how has God delivered you? I mean, you personally. David says, man, I've leaped over a wall. God taught me how to fight. He caused my feet to be strong when they would have been weak. God dealt with Saul. What is it that God has done in your life? 
How has he delivered you? How has he provided for you? Know that and know that well. Because in times of difficulty, we look back on his faithfulness and we go, God, you've delivered me. And I'm going to declare that deliverance amongst the Gentiles, meaning those that don't know the Lord, that aren't a part of the family of God. The man who was blind that Jesus healed, he said, this I know, I was blind, but now I see. That was God's deliverance in his life. So what's your song? What is it that's your song personally? Difficulty and adversity many times is where you will receive your song. It's when you walk through those years of dealing with a Saul person or a Saul situation that you come out of that and you have your own song. I want you to record it. I want you to make this practical. I want you to declare it. Right now, to think about what are the two or three attributes that are very personal to you about God. And I want you to tell somebody today. On your way home, if you drove with somebody, if you're getting together with family, if you have friends here at RMC, if you have brothers and sisters in Christ that don't go here, an opportunity to say, you know what, these are the attributes of God that are really personal to me. And then think about, okay, how has God worked in my life? What are the works that he has done for me? In what ways have I saw God be just? Did he deal with a, a boss that was really unfair? Did he deal with a coworker that was trying to do me in? God's justice. And then God's deliverance in your life. And begin to record and declare your own song. Some of you may be saying, well, you know what, Eric? I don't really have, feel like I have a song. I haven't really experienced God work supernatural in my life. I, I don't know if I've had this great deliverance and great, great provision. And as we come to the communion table, we're going to end in worship and taking communion this morning, is we have experienced God in such a profound way. Think about the cross. Think about his death and resurrection. Communion causes us to remember his broken body and his shed blood. Because when we come to the communion table, we make personal the attribute of God's grace. God, you gave your son for me. You're the ultimate father who loves me. And here I am forgiven of all my sin. Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. And the grace of God resonates with us. The works of God are found at the communion table. That God would allow us to be in that place of, of forgiveness. God's justice is found at the communion table. Jesus is the object of the punishment for our sins. Deliverance is found at the communion table. Jesus died so that the penalty of sin could be paid for, but also the power of sin can be broken. Do you know that the scripture declares to us absolutely and completely that the power of sin is broken in our lives? If you're in Christ, that you're buried with Christ and you're risen in newness of life. And this morning we get to come to the communion table and reckon the old man dead. I don't have to walk in bitterness anymore. I don't have to walk in lust anymore. That's buried with Christ. God has delivered me, and I'm laying hold of that deliverance. And I believe as we experience Christ at the communion table, we find ourselves entering into worship. We find ourselves declaring our song. Do you know that you have experienced something that is far greater than watching Goliath fall? Goliath was a big man, but it's nothing compared to our sins. And we've seen the defeat of our sin. You have experienced that. You're experiencing something that David could only look forward to. 
David loved to go to the temple where God's presence was. Do you know what the new covenant is? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we've experienced the greatness of God, and we find that at the communion table. There's elements here in the front. There's elements in the back if you're sitting in the second half of the sanctuary. And what we're going to do is come to the elements, go back to your seat. Billy's going to come and lead us in worship. You don't have to be in a hurry. And as you're ready, go ahead and lead yourself in communion. If you're here with a spouse, here with a friend, and you want to take communion together and celebrate what Christ has done in your life. So let's stand and let's pray and let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father, right now we want to declare your goodness. You're our God. You're so gracious and you're kind and you're merciful. You're our rock and you're our fortress. We want to encounter your goodness again at the communion table. And we pray that we would find ourselves expressing your goodness in our lives in song. There's power in worship. There's power in a song. May we walk away truly touched by you. In Jesus' name, amen.